Welcome to Om Times TV, a division of Om Times Media and Broadcasting. Welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live streaming interview series, where leading new thought teachers, speakers, and authors share the intimate stories behind the 10 best spiritual books that inspired them the most on their spiritual journey. From well-known classics to hidden gems you might never have heard of, the No BS Spiritual Book Club saves you time and money by sharing reliable recommendations from those who've walked the path before you. The No BS Spiritual Book Club, the only No BS guide to the best spiritual books to inspire your own journey of self-discovery. Here's your host, founder of the No BS Spiritual Book Club, Sandy Sedgbeer. Hello and welcome to the No BS Spiritual Book Club's live video series and joining me today to share the stories behind the 10 books that influenced her the most on her extraordinary life journey is Penny Kelly. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Penny, she's a writer, a very prolific writer, teacher, author, publisher, a naturopathic physician and a researcher of consciousness. Actually, she describes herself as a connoisseur of consciousness. So I'm going to grill her a little bit later about what exactly that means. But very early in her um, job as an engineer, uh, sorry, not early in the, her job, but as an engineer at the Chrysler Corporation, Penny um, happened to have a Kundalini awakening experience in 1979. And after that, she quit that job. And she went on to study the brain, consciousness, intelligence, intuition, and cognition. And she became an edu educational consultant. She also worked with biophysicist, Dr. William Levengood for 15 years, studying materials. Get this, I mean, this is so fascinating. I wish I could have been sitting on her shoulder. Studying materials from crop circles and animal mutilations and researching plasma energy and consciousness. Penny holds two degrees, one in humanistic studies from Wayne State University and one in naturopathic medicine from Clayton College of Natural Health. And she maintains a worldwide counseling and coaches, coaching practice. And she teaches many courses on developing intuition, organic gardening, and getting well again naturally. And she's also the co-writer and editor of 23 books, plus the author and publisher of nine of her own, including The Evolving Human, The Elves of Lily Hill Farm, Robes, A Book of Coming Changes, which I highly recommend, and four volumes of Consciousness and Energy, the subtitles of which include the phrases multidimensionality and the theory of consciousness, religion, sex, power, and the fall of consciousness, and more recently, Trump, the sting, the cat catastrophe cycle, and consciousness, from which you can safely assume that Penny Kelly is no ordinary spiritual teacher. So, Penny, welcome. It is good to be here. <laughs> and it's good to have you here. And I've really been looking forward to this one. And just to everybody who's watching, who's joined us, if you have questions for Penny, and I can't believe you won't, feel free to post them in the chat window as we go along, and we'll address them before the end of this session. So, okay, 
Penny, before we start discussing your 10 best spiritual books list, two questions we always ask our guests. The first one is what books mean to them. And I know in your case, they mean because one of the keywords you use to describe yourself is book bug. So tell us about books and you. Um, I think books were the thing that really taught me um, how to see. When you, when you watch a television program, the visual is provided right there. When you read a book, you have to provide the visual in order to follow the story. And, and so that was one of the doorways that I think pointed me for clairvoyance and being able to uh, be really quite visual after Kundalini occurred. Um, books are doorways to other people's consciousness. They are treasures of information about how other people see the world or just about technical stuff. How does this work? How do you fix that? And of course, now we have YouTube that has a lot of stuff. My kids always say, just, just go to YouTube and you'll look it up. You'll see how to fix it or you'll see how to handle it. Um, we used to do that with books. I still do. Um, I have five libraries in my house and here's the, I'm in one of them. <laughs> you can see some of my books. I read a book a day from the time I was maybe uh, eight years old until I was probably 48. Uh, there was a period of time in there during Kundalini where I could not read. Um, when Kundalini occurs, you can't focus on one thing because your consciousness is everywhere and you're, you're aware of everything and, and so you just cannot read. But um, I still read and, and for a while, I went off to YouTube to watch and listen, a lot of stuff there. And just in the last year, um, maybe year and a half, I've gone back to reading because there was so much shallow stuff on YouTube that it wasn't satisfying like a book is satisfying. When you read a book, you really get an in-depth um, experience that's visual for me it's auditory it's I, I live the book while i'm going through it um and that really that richness is what i think a lot of people are missing in the world today and i've heard few people just in the last couple months say ah i'm going back to reading the problem that they all say that i've heard from several is well, it's a lot of work to read a book and it seems like everything changes so quickly. I did all that work to read for something that lasted a, a moment, you know, just a, a, a moment in time. And, and I thought, yeah, there is a problem with that. But if you're reading stuff that's really relevant, it's timeless. If you're yeah. reading, you know, junk, yeah, it only lasts a minute. Exactly. Yeah. Which is exactly why I started the book club. Yeah. Know, so that people <laughs> can, can access a repository of great recommendations for books that are substantive. Yeah. And as you say, I mean, you can't argue with a book that is no. full of truth. You know, no. Truth is eternal. Yep. Yeah, yeah. that's really yeah. true. And that's, that's really, I think, an important piece 
um, in terms of, of uh, moving us toward becoming eternal beings. Uh, if you fill your mind with stuff that doesn't help you to become an eternal being, then, <laughs> okay, start over. Yeah, start yeah. over. And we do start over. And we start over as many times as we need to. But that's something that is not necessary. Um, you, we need to accumulate wisdom, power, um, and to choose actions that align us with eternal life. And I often say to my students, when everything you do is aligned with life, then you'll have eternal life. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's choosing an alignment that really, I think, is important, has to happen. So the second question we always ask is, how easy or how challenging was it for you to find just 10 books? <laughs> it was not easy. <laughs> um, I went through my libraries and it was like, oh, 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 that one. <laughs> so it was just over and over and over again. I was um, having, I, I ended up taking probably 60 books off the shelves. And, and I have thousands of books and I piled them and then I went away and then I came back a day or two later and I thought, um, well, that one. And so I repiled them and I kept winnowing down until I had 10 and, and I thought, you know, these were, they weren't necessarily the only books that I thought were my 10 best, but they happened to be books that I read at just the right moment in time when I was really in this process of trying to manage consciousness <clears throat> after Kundalini. And it was, it was such, I mean, I really thought I wasn't going to make it there for quite a long time. Um, and it, it's quite a long process. It's, took me 17 years. But when you get to the end point, there's really no end point. <clears throat> when you get to this point where you, you stop fighting yourself, you stop telling yourself, no, it's not supposed to be that way. When it's that way for you, that's the way it is. And, and so you end up having to um, accept this is the way you are now. And I would always be telling myself, I, I need to go back to being a normal person, an ordinary woman, and, and that just did not work. And then finally it was like, okay, I, I really just need to, um, to stop fighting what has happened. And I had this message one day that said, this is your new normal. This is what the ordinary person is supposed to become. And at that point I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it was uh, one of those moments of, um, you know, of really profound understanding that um, there, was, there was a potential built into the human, which then later when I started working with Dr. Levengood, I understood that potential in terms of the energy system. Um, which is a, a major, I mean, we don't really, a lot of people don't really understand the, <clears throat> the true nature of, their, of themselves or of the, of the reality that we're in. But once you do, it's like, oh, yeah, this is, how, this is how we're supposed to unfold. And it doesn't happen for enough people. Mm. It, it, 
it just doesn't. I mean, there's a few. Um, and so, and I've been working for 40 years now with people who come to me, they find their way, they're struggling with Kundalini. Yeah. And, um, and that's really, it's a tough, it's a challenge. It's a life or death kind of challenge. I'm sure. So, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, I could tell when I got your list and the commentary that you provided, you know, that you'd really thought hard about this. You know, it is a carefully, you can tell it's a carefully crafted list and it's a, a list that certainly you've expressed um, is true to what you were experiencing at that time. And there's a number of books on your list that are favorites of mine as well. So let's start with number one, which, you know, given the experience that happened to you, we're not surprised by the title, which is Kundalini, The Evolutionary Energy in Man by Gopi Krishna, which I think was published in 1971. So I know that book was enormously useful to you in being able to understand the experience yeah. you had so just tell us yeah. a little bit about that um i was probably two years maybe a year and a half two years <clears throat> into the whole kundalini experiences which just kept recurring um and they're profoundly disturbing experiences um because they're they're roaring there's this roaring sound <laughs> there's this shaking um and then you have an orgasm that moves like seven of them right in a row every chakra has its own blissful orgasm and then it hits your brain and, and voila you're no longer you don't know you exist anymore you are in this um void this place where it's all black except for these little dots of light tiny, tiny pinpricks of light. So I, and, and the, the physical manifestations, some of them that the ones that scared me the most were my heart was going 200 beats a minute. Um, I thought I, my head was gonna blow off because your blood pressure goes sky high. Uh, I thought either my head was gonna blow off or my butt was gonna blow out, one or the other. And they, um, and the heat, the heat was, um, it was, it was frightening. So we'll leave it at that. And, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't control this. It just kept happening. Um, and so I thought for sure that there was something terribly wrong with me that I was going insane and that I was about to die or burst into flame and burn up. And that was made worse when some guy in Port Huron, Michigan, actually did we were sitting at a bar in a bar on a bar stool and all of a sudden he burst into flame and i was like oh it happens yeah and so then i found other experiences of that in newspapers and i was just terrified mm. and then i come across kundalini the evolutionary energy in man and um and i had been to a class i my boyfriend at the time said look you need to go take a class in how to control consciousness and that that whole psychic stuff that you're experiencing so i was taking this class and um and there was a guest speaker one night and he mentioned this book and this is a, a thing about um consciousness when you hear or see something that is relevant to you your entire system comes alive 
it's it like locks on to that little piece of information and you are like oh, what is that i need to know that what is that and he mentioned this word kundalini and um and and i afterwards i was talking to him and my teacher and i was saying i'm going through all this stuff and i was practically in tears and they just kind of looked at each other and said sounds like kundalini doesn't it and they went and got this book and gave it to me and said you probably should read this and i took it home and i started reading and i just read right straight through the night and when i was all done about four in the morning or whatever time it was i just put the book down and i started bawling my eyes out it was like oh my god somebody else has been through this and and then i wrote this long letter but i didn't have an address so i never sent it um and it was probably a sappy letter to begin with but that was the first turning point where it was like okay so i don't quite understand what this is but um it's something that we we can maybe learn something about and so then i went looking for other books most of them were garbage they talked all around the subject they never mentioned the sexual aspect of it um, they didn't talk about the heat. They didn't talk about the heart rate and the blood pressure and all the other stuff. Um, they didn't talk about how uncontrollable it was. So, yeah. Kundalini, the evolutionary energy in man was this, gave me this little thread to hang on to. <laughs> so I was really, really grateful. So this is a book that you would recommend to anybody who's had a Kundalini experience, doesn't understand it, but would you also recommend it to many people who haven't so that they understand what is possible? Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I would recommend it to people <clears throat> who have any sort of, um, what do you call it, like a psychic experience or they they have this feeling a lot of people say i just have this feeling or this knowing um yeah read it read read this book because it's so powerful in explaining what's supposed to happen in a human and it should happen nice and easy <laughs> if it happens <laughs> like it happened with me it's not so nice and easy but you can still navigate it and and the thing i tell people is it's an intelligent process. So don't fight it. It knows what you're supposed to unfold into. So try to relax with it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good advice. Okay, so book number two is a book that I loved when I first came across it, probably at some point in the 80s, I would say. Um, Psychic Discoveries Behind the Iron Curtain, by Sheila Ostrander and Lynn Schroeder. Just love that book. So tell us um, what it did for you. Oh my gosh. Um, because I, it came into my life, um, I had already recognized that there was this thing out there called Kundalini that nobody in the West knew about. But there was this whole bunch of people in, in Eastern Europe and Russia who were studying psychic abilities. And one of the things Kundalini does is give you almost overnight unlimited psychic abilities. Your consciousness has no barriers. And that is really a, a difficult thing. It sounds nice, but um, it's, 
it's really challenging. And, and here was all this, these scientists studying that. And my thought was, there's hope for the world. There's hope. They'll explain what this is, how this, how does this work? And, and, um, and I've read it. Um, and one of the things that I read in it was about Dr. Georgi Lazanov, who's now passed away. Um, but he had developed this educational method based on the capacities of consciousness and using different frequencies of consciousness to input information in and then different activities to cement and, and kind of anchor that information. And he was, um, I think he said he was getting, um, he was teaching two and a half years worth of education in one nine month period. And that, it, and that people not only were healthier, <laughs> um, he, they retained the information. He was teaching foreign languages to adults and yes. they were speaking it naturally in a very short period of time. And my thought was, I wanna learn that. I wanna understand how to do that. And eventually I did. I did go to the Lozanoff Institute and um, became a teacher specializing in accelerated teaching and learning. And that's, he called it Suggestopedia. And I was like, that is the ugliest word. <laughs> why would we call it Suggestopedia? Um, and I know why. But um, in America, it was called um, Accelerated Teaching and Learning Techniques or um, Brain-Compatible Teaching and Learning. So I became a teacher teaching teachers how to use these techniques for like 18 years. And then didn't, started my own school. <laughs> didn't Sheila Ostrander write another book that was purely about that? Um, I remember I had that book and she talked about having, um, what's the musical thing? Yeah. You know, um, and, and you can record stuff that you want to remember and you can play it back to yourself and you record it at certain pitch and cadence. And, um, and it's really good for actors learning lines or anybody taking exams. Yeah, I played okay. with that for quite a bit. Okay. I, her book was called Super Learning. That's it. Super Learning. Yeah. Mm. And it was one that I read and I thought when I read it, and maybe that was just because of Kundalini, I thought, oh, she doesn't really understand what he's doing. She doesn't understand consciousness, but she had developed a system. Yes. And, and I thought, okay, that's the, it's a substitute. It was awkward compared to what he was doing. But um, there's certain elements that there's like 20 different elements that you have to keep in mind as a teacher of this, you know, kind of education, but it accelerates the development of the individual tremendously. Yeah, I think she just saw a mainstream application for it right. with memory. And um, she trying to structure it so yeah. that people who had no clue what this whole thing was about or how to use consciousness in the proper way, um, she was trying to make that available mm. to them. And I liked that, but it was yeah. awkward. I tell you, the one thing that stayed with me out of that book, apart from the super learning aspect, because it was full of different stories about different professors and people who were doing some amazing experiments, was the one about the man who taught blind people to see through their fingertips. Oh yeah. Wasn't yeah. that amazing? 
That was, yeah. And that really is, I think, a thing that we should be taught that every single cell in the body has visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and action, touch, kinds of uh, abilities. And we don't develop those. And we really sometimes, like for blind people, that's really useful, really helpful. Very. So I think there are still copies of I think it is. I can't recommend that uh, anybody who's yeah interested in human capacity um, read that book. But let's move on to number three, which is the holographic universe, the revolutionary theory of reality by Michael Talbot, which I think was published in around 2011. And Larry Dossey called it um, a wake up call to wonder and adventure in ideas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think um, at that point in time, he just really, um, the thing that struck me, there were many things about the book that struck me. Um, one of the biggest things was that at that point in time, um, let me back up a step. When you undergo Kundalini, when, it, when it's happening, you have access to the entire cosmos, the entire array of beings that are out there. And so I had some beings who were teaching me and reminding me of who I was and where I came from and all that stuff. But they were, the thing that really struck me that was in Talbot's book was how the holographic universe works. And it was almost a perfect match or compliment would be a better way to what I was being taught about the eyes. I'm a student of the eyes in, in, you know, in other, in other dimensions of existence. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. Um, and, and the way that the eyes work was explained or to me by my, by beings who are not physical. Um, and then the, what Michael Talbot had in his book were these drawings that Carl Prebram and, and Carl Lashley had figured out regarding holographic imaging and photography. And I was like, oh, wow, the eyes do the same thing. So there's two blue rays that come out of the eyes and they cross at one point in, out there and wherever you want to see what you want to see and you will see what you want to see. But those, where those two beams of light cross, there's an interference pattern. And what's in that interference pattern is what gets illuminated and, and put into your brain and how the brain works. Um, that's all, it's fascinating stuff. So that, when I read that book, it was like, okay, <laughs> um, they, we in America are beginning to examine things like brain function and eye function and and how does that affect consciousness and he, and he was all about paranormal um and so it was really very timely in getting me to understand okay there's some overlaps here i i don't think i have all the pieces but i'm beginning to see i'm beginning to get it and and it was very very encouraging um and the other thing that really came out of that book was this understanding that I was um, part of what I'll call a new science um, kind of effort. And if we couldn't understand, if, if we could not develop to the point that we understood that new science, which I didn't even know for sure what it was at that point, 
we we were not going to be able to make the leap in consciousness that we have to make and we're right there right now so that that science the new science um in a paradigm all the pieces have to fit together when your science is saying no that's not how the universe works it works like this you it doesn't you have to either choose one or the other you move to the new science you move to the new paradigm and all of your technology all of your housing all of your medicine everything becomes different so that was what i got out of talbot's book is we have to the new science has to be understood so i was very grateful for that i imagine yeah, yeah. now number four was a book that i also fell in love with and i didn't read this until the early 2000s um but it was published in 1989 the secret life of plants by peter Tompkins and christopher bird wow did that one blow my mind yeah <laughs> yeah um actually it started as a movie and i happened to see the movie and um it was the most artistically beautiful musically enchanting documentary that i have ever seen bar none and every element from consciousness to color to sound to science to oh my it was just enchanting and and i think that when i saw the example of the plant that had been murdered by the science, by the lab assistant yep. and, and the other plants in the room witnessed this guy coming in and tearing this plant all to pieces and then i don't know if it was a few days or a few weeks later the same guy comes in the room all the other plants were wired up to sensors and and hooked to a chart recorder <laughs> they went berserk with fear and and i was like omg they are alive they're intelligent they're conscious they're they have a memory that i was just it was like this doorway to mother nature and it started and then it deepened when i met the elves here on my own farm um and i've been having this love affair with nature ever since and i think that's one of the major sources of security in life is that reconnection with nature and i grew up as a kid you know at farming and all of that um of course i couldn't wait to get away from that but um i'm looking back now and realizing woo if if i hadn't had that i wouldn't have the confidence that if the world falls down around me i know how to get water i know how to get food i know how to preserve things i know how to hunt i know how to make clothes i know how to build houses i know how to do my own medicine when you're a poor farm ki kid growing up those things are normal and and they lend this quality of security that if the external world falls down you'll get by you know what to do and you know how to do not just know it's not just know that know that it's know how um and that's missing for so many people today and it's yeah. very sad it's they're they're afraid they they live in fear and they know deep inside the system could fall apart at any minute mm. 
and they're screwed if that happens yeah and those experiments that you're talking about for those who don't know uh, Cleve Baxter was um, an expert in lie detection and he decided to set up these experiments using lie detector technology um, and putting the electrodes on plants and um, at that time I every six weeks I was commuting to Zurich um, where I worked with a client for a week and I was so enamored by this book and by a plant that I just bought that I used to, I followed the book's instructions and I used to connect with my plant every day and send it loving energy and thoughts so that when I came home, <laughs> you know, it would be perfect. And it was, and it was, yeah, just a, an amazing, amazing book. Okay. So number five, yeah. love this man's work. Um, the yeah. crack in the cosmic egg, Joseph Chilton Pierce. New Constructs of Mind and Reality, published in 1971. What a man. Wish yeah. I'd met him. Yeah. yeah he, was, he was astounding. He was out of the box mm -hmm. early on. And um, I so appreciated his writing. Oh, my. I had these four amazing children. They were intelligent. They were bright. They were fearless. They were funny. They were peaceful they got along with one another and then one by one they went to school and within i'm going to say three to four months they became silent watchful fearful they fought with one another they were competitive they there was an awful change in each one and and i i just thought okay, well, maybe we got a bad teacher for the first one. Well, then that happened with the second one. And then the third one, oh, each one was worse. And I thought, this is the system. And that was when my daughter, um, I don't know if she was eight or 10, said to me, mama, can't we find a school where they teach something we don't already know? And I thought, oh, gee. Um, and I started looking. And they did go for a while to uh, Rudolf Steiner's Waldorf schools for three, mm -hmm. three years, which was very helpful. Um, but after my kids, after they experienced that, they were not interested in regular schools and struggled terribly. So, and one graduated in the 11th grade and the other one just said, I'm done with this. And she was in the eighth grade and I'm like, no, you can't do this. And she's like, mom, I'm a smart girl, and she was, and I'm beautiful, and she was. I could go out and get a job. Nobody would know that I'm not 18, and she did, <laughs> and so it was a really hard period, and, and she, um, you know, she just, she said, I'm going to make it, I'm going to learn, teach myself, and I'm, I want to learn from the real world, and I want it to be interesting and exciting. So when I read this book by Joseph Chilton Pierce, I thought, I'm right, school is ruining children. And so it gave me the, uh, the um, backing, the sort of a intellectual foundation to go searching. And that's how I became an educational consultant. That was when I went after um, the training from the Lozanoff Institute um, in Washington, DC. And um, that really, it was, it was like, a, oh, wow, we're doing this education thing all wrong. Um, and we're still doing it. 
pretty much mm. in a way that ruins people. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, definitely not designed to bring out the best in them. And of course, learning is an exciting process for kids. You watch them light up when they're enjoying what they're discovering. Um, tell me, so your kids, what did they do when it was time to educate their children? Um, well, the, um, the first one, we took those three, she had three children, um, there was a period of three years where we took them out of the education system and put them in homeschooling and just said, we, you know, the school is wrecking them. They can't see that these are intelligent kids. And, they, and so we homeschooled them. Um, and we did two, a two-part program. And that program consisted mostly of this is how you survive in the world. This is how you grow food. This is how you preserve food. This is how you sew, knit, um, hunt, milk cows, take care of chickens, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they had to write papers about that. And then we read and did math and um, talked about history and studied science and nature in nature. Um, and, that, and that, when they went back to school after three years, um, they were, they came home and they said, grandma, the kids in school are like, are like babies. They're immature. And, and what I discovered, what I realized was that the homeschooling had matured them and anchored their personal development in a way that the kids in school were not getting. Hmm. And they've all become really, um, pretty amazing amazing people. So then my second daughter just had one child um, and he's now a major lawyer being fought over by law firms all across the country. He just graduated. And um, then I have one other grandson who is uh, went to school and then said, I think I'm going to go out and work in the world for a while because um, I'm not sure what I want to be. And, and so he's just at this point now where he's pretty sure he knows what he wants to be. And he's talking about going back to school. And that's really the best way. Um, you get into school, you spend a fortune, you become something that five, 10 years later, you're like, I don't want to do that anymore. You have to educate yourself for your passion. You know, it will be very interesting to see what emerges after this lockdown period when so many children have been homeschooled. Oh my. You know, one thing, as certainly in England, it was just so discouraged. They made it so hard to do. And now what we're seeing is for some, for some, it's been incredibly successful. You know, right. I watch my grandchildren and um, I see how much fun they're having and creativity that you know their mother encourages in yeah. them and it's just wonderful and then you come across other children who aren't getting as much freedom right in how they're learning what they're supposed to be learning yeah interesting yeah and i think that that's really the the difference is going to be are the parents really watching do they care what's happening with that child? Or are they just sending that kid to school to babysit because the parent doesn't want to deal with those kids? Yeah. People do not know how to deal with children. And, yeah. and really you deal with them like they're little bitty adults and they, they blossom into these amazing adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Om Times TV. Maya Angelou once said that there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer, and when I'm not hosting Om Times Media's flagship radio show, What Is Going On, and the No BS Spiritual Book Club, I help people share their untold stories. Books are my life, my joy, and my passion. And there is no greater reward than helping aspiring writers get their books out of their heads and into the hands of those who are waiting to read them. If you feel that you have a book in you, but don't know where to begin, visit sedgebeer.com, click on the Work With Me tab and find out how my experience helping others tell their stories might be just what you've been looking for. That's sedgebeer.com, S-E-D-G-B-E-E-R.com. Imagine becoming a super influencer. Reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Own Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Own Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Om Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Om Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. Om Times, open yourself to the possibilities. There are 16 million children struggling with hunger in America. That's one in five daughters, sons, neighbors, and classmates who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Yet billions of pounds of good food go to waste every year. It's time we do something about it. Feeding America is a nationwide network of food banks that helps provide meals to millions of kids and families in need. Visit feedingamerica.org to help them feed even more. Together, we can solve hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Okay, so number six is The Nature of Personal Reality by Jane Roberts, published in 1980. Um, And you received an entire set of Seth books from somebody who thought you needed to have them. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually working with Dr. Levengood. This was like probably 2003 or four, something like that. Um, And he was working with a man in Florida and I don't, I can't remember what their conversation was about, but um, we got to talking or, or Levengood got to talking uh, to this man that he was working with me and the man had read some of my books and he was like, oh my gosh. So then we had, he and I, this other man in Florida, had a couple of conversations and he said, have you read the Seth books? And I said, no, I bought a book called Seth Speaks years ago, but I hadn't really read it. It was on my library shelf. And he said, you need to read these books. You're doing everything he's talking about. And I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get some, I'll read it. I'll read the one that I have. Before I even had it read, he sent an entire set of Jane Roberts books. And I burned through those and it was just like, 
oh my, I should have had these years ago. <laughs> I should have read these in the beginning of Kundalini. Um, amazing kinds of stuff. And the one that was my favorite was the nature of personal reality. That was just, um, you know, it, it anchored me. I was beginning to form some pretty clear ideas and certainties about what consciousness was and how it worked. And when I read um, The Nature of Personal Reality, I was like, yep, yep, that's exactly the conclusion I came to. And I tested out some of the scenarios that they described in the book and thought, yep, it's same thing, same thing. And I have long taken notes, kept a journal. Um, first, I had a whole bunch of journals. And I think it was about that time I thought, okay, this is really something that um, I've, I need to put it all together into one stream of consciousness journal. And that was very enlightening. Wow. So my dream journal, my personal journal, my writing journal, my poetry journal, uh, my, my weird experience journal, they all came into one. And that really came out of that reading of, of the nature of personal reality. Um, and so putting all that together was an eye opener into, I forgot half the stuff that I, that I have done and that I have repeatedly done. I'm not paying attention to what I'm learning here. And so that was a heads up. So, mm. yeah. Cool. Number seven. The Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East, Volumes 1 to 6 by Baird Spaulding, published originally in the 20s, I believe, 1920s, not 2020s. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, um, somebody left that set of books here for one of my students, and, um, and they sat here for the longest time. And, and then one day I, I thought, what is this on this bag on the cupboard? And I looked inside and thought, what is this? And um, immediately I thought, I need to read these. I started reading and, and it was just like, this is where we're going. This is all the stuff that I have thought that we were headed into as a population, um, as an evolved population. And these guys, these masters of the Far East were basically demonstrating what we were capable of and had bothered to become uh, beings who could regenerate themselves pretty much endlessly, hundreds of years. Some of them were hundreds of years old. And so I decided um, I was going to go out of the body and see if I could find some of these beings. And I did. Um, and I thought, okay. And I had a few strange experiences at that time um, that, that really anchored my understanding of what it would mean to become eternal and not leave here at, at the age of 70, like everybody else seems to, like, oh, 70 is old. And I'm like, no, it's not. That's half of your life. The body is designed to live to 140 years at least. 10 times your age at puberty is your natural lifespan. So if you were 12 or 13 or 14 or 15, um, your natural lifespan would be 120, 130, 40, 50. 
Um, and there have been people who lived that long, and there still are. And once you learn how to regenerate and reorganize yourself, then the possibilities are pretty much endless. So that's um, the life and teachings of the master of the Far East. I would highly recommend um, that people read those and really think deeply about how, how, how much potential we have and how little of that potential we have unfolded and, and, and used. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Book number eight is a series again. It's Anastasia and the Ringing Cedars, volumes one to nine by Vladimir Megra. Um, I think they started coming, appearing around about 2005 or thereabouts. I, yeah, somewhere in there. Um, yeah, it was it, when I read this series, um, I, again, I was just struck by. Um, how important it was that people understand that we had much more potential than uh, than what we were dragging up we weren't we weren't evolving into our own potential and i think the other thing um that really struck me um i'm not sure if i can explain it <laughs> it was a personal sort of moment um in which i thought okay if I, you know, I had been thinking for quite some time that we were headed to a crisis. And when I was with the little men in brown robes, they had said, the period that will be the most difficult and will kind of set the stage is going to be from 2015 to 2021. You're probably going to come apart. The U.S. is probably going to come apart. Um, you will probably end up in a civil war. Um, this is, you know, all this stuff that I ended up putting some of that in robes and I tried to tone that down so I didn't frighten people. But um, at that point that I was dealing with the robes, which was back in the first three years of Kundalini, um, I, they had said, well, you know, this is what you came here to do and we want you to renew your agreement. And I'm like, no way. And you guys are nuts. And I can't do that. And who am I? And, and just all these excuses. And they're just like, you know, well, just if you just relax, you'll see it'll all unfold naturally. And, and I just could not believe that couldn't accept it. But I did think that if I could teach the world, because the task was to teach the world about the mind and consciousness. And I was like, are you nuts? The world? <laughs> you know, um, and this kind of teaching presumes or can only be done to people who are asking or interested. Um, it's, you can't just impose this. This isn't the, the, the American public school system or the European public school system. You can't say you have to know this. This is choice and nobody's interested. But they, um, they said, no, no, you just, just, you know, wait until the crisis. We want you to take a good, take good care of yourself because you need to last a long time, which at that time, um, I think I was 32, 33. And I thought, geez, I'm going to have to last till I'm 50. <laughs> <Which> I, <laughs> I was really old. 
Um, and so now here I am, 72 and a half, and I'm thinking, I thought we would be done by now, and we're just getting started. So um, at this point, I'm, I, when I read this Ringing Cedars, I thought, okay, Anastasia had taken on the entire world and just, she was doing what she could. And that really became my attitude. It's like, son of a gun, if she can do it, I can do it. I'm taking on the entire world. I'm going to do what I can. And that became a turning point right there. Those books. It was like, okay, do what you can. So, so I, um, it, we, it matters what we do, each one of us. And collectively, we're creating this system, this reality system. And so it matters a great deal. Don't ever think that you have no power and you're not doing anything. Just being here is doing a lot. Life is a system that has to be maintained. So, yeah, I love those books. In fact, I've thought about rereading them. <laughs> okay, so number nine is Postmortem Journal by Jane Sherwood. Yeah, you know... Um, I read that and um, I had originally read some books by Chico Fernandez, who was the guy who taught John of God how to do what John of God does. And I thought about putting Chico's books in there, but Jane Sherwood um, just really um, kind of spelled it out very, very nicely um, in this book. It's a book about her connection to somebody who had died and she was doing some automatic writing and, and she didn't know who she was connected to, but this voice or this presence was writing and using her to communicate. And long story short, it turned out to be um, Lawrence of Arabia. He gave himself another name and told her she could use some other name, but, um, it really was a, one of those things, it's a very small book that, that matched all of my journeys into the other worlds. It was like a perfect description of those other worlds and of what I have seen happens when the body is done and the individual is not. And, and so I, I thought, you know what? This book has to be on the list because if people can read it and understand what happens after we leave here, then I think it's very, very comforting. It's very uh, surprising. Some of it is very surprising. Um, and it matches what I have seen almost to a T. There are lots of worlds out there, lots of systems, reality systems. You are going to go to the reality system that matches your consciousness at the time of death. So it's really important to be uh, like not all drugged up and, and to be able to, be, to keep yourself in a pile, <laughs> keep your bricks in a pile um, at the time of death because you're gonna be out of the body and you're going to wake up in another system and, and if you were in a moment of despair at the moment of death, you'll be in a system that's despairing. Mm -hmm. 
If you were in a moment of fantasy at the time of death, you're going to be in a fantasy system. If you're in, a, you know, terrified of hell, you're going to end up in a hell world. Um, there's a lot, a lot of systems out there. And so this one is a perfect description of what I have found um, in, in terms of what's on the other side and places people go. So, and it's very educational. You continue your development, whatever development you didn't get accomplished here continues um, even though you don't have a body. It's the consciousness that you are developing. And there's a reason for that, um, which is kind of a long description, but it has to do with the fact that life is a system and it's a system of awareness. And that awareness is recycling awarenesses in order to come to this place of utter bliss that, that underlies or sustains all of us and has this one thought, I am. <laughs> so, but like I said, that's a whole different thing. So, yeah, read wow. this book. It's well worth it. Um, it and it, it gives you an idea of whatever you didn't finish developing here in this life, you're going to finish in the next life. And I have family on the other side, and we've been communicating um, back and forth for years now, um, probably 40 years in some cases. And we've had people who said, okay, I'm coming back, and this is when, and this is where I'm coming, and this is who I'm going to be. And sure enough, they showed up exactly on time. Um, so um it's a it's an amazing we're in an amazing system it's this is an amazing system there's a whole interview just based on what you said just then but we don't have time for it right now unfortunately because that would be a really interesting one to follow up on but let's move on because we've got number 10 which is history fiction or science volumes one and two by um Fomenko. Yep. Um, yes. So tell us, you say that what attracted you to his books was the outrageous claim that the story of Jesus Christ was not true. Yeah, I know. And being raised Catholic, I was like, what? Bad girl. <laughs> yeah. I, my attitude was, okay, this is some new age idiot. I'm going to buy this book and I'm going to read it and then I'm going to tear him apart. <laughs> Talk about, you know, arrogance on my part and a serious come down. I bought his first book. I read the first chapter and I thought, uh, let's read that again. <laughs> I read it a second time, a third time, a fourth time, a fifth time. By the fifth time, maybe even the sixth, I thought, this is not some new age funky. This is a mathematician, scientist, um, astronomer, Russian, you know, scientist of extraordinary capacity. And he was back in the 60s. He was one of the 60s kids. He graduated from college and he was a mathematician. And mathematicians are responsible for chronology. And chronology over time has always been um, how do I say it? Uh, old documents are dated by because the writers used or inserted in those documents the position of the sun, the moon, 
and the stars, etc. Because time systems change, clocks change over time, but the position of the sun, the moon, and the stars does not. And so he was given this assignment to come up with this, um, um, to date some sort of event. And he, so he, he goes in and he's looking in, at what the sun and the moon is doing. And he's like, wait, that's, that's not what the document says. The document, and turns out, long story short, that he's, he's like, he goes to his superiors and he says, something's wrong here. Either the history or is wrong or the science is wrong or the math is wrong or the astronomy is something's not, it doesn't match. Um, and so he ends up, the, the elders say, look, just drop that. Just leave it alone. Just, it's okay. Just make it work somehow. And he's like, you don't just make math work. It does that's it has to work or it doesn't. <laughs> and so he starts on this um, this journey to explore, to to research what's you know, what's wrong? Um, what's is the sun doing something or the moon and the earth doing something that we don't know about? Well, that was not the case. And in the end, what he discovered was that in the Middle Ages, a whole bunch of documents were altered and different configurations of sun and moon were put in or different dates were put on the document without changing the sun, moon, and stars configuration that was already in the documents. And so the date that the church said, this is when this happened, and the date that the document said, this is when this happened, did not match. And so at that point, um, he started on this amazing journey and it comes down to, um, he's older, he's got, I think, 150 scientists now working with him on this project, this chronology project. And basically what he's saying is that there was um, a guy in, I don't know if it was the 1300s or the 1500s that might have been qualified to be known as a Jesus. The word Jesus is a title. It's not a particular guy. It's a title for somebody who is a healer, a teacher who's had an awakened consciousness and has extraordinary access to moving energy. And, and so, and on his way through all this research, which is astounding, oh my, um, he said there's been somewhere between 1800 and I think 3000 years inserted into the timeline and, and the story of Jesus, quote unquote Jesus, was really happening in the Middle Ages in Europe and the Catholic Church moved it to North um, Africa and said it happened way back then because they were trying to give themselves legitimacy and he's got data and documents and stuff that lines up and basically what he says, the entire history of the Western world is not what we have been taught at all, at all. So um, it's it really is, I think, a, the doorway into correcting all of the lies that have been taught to us over time and moves us into a new paradigm of thinking and understanding that is absolutely powerful. So, um, so it, you know, it, it's really the start of a whole new future. 
And so that's why I put it in there. The books are, um, he's got eight books. I think six of them might be translated now into English. Um, they've been translated very well. Um, that man has done his research. So it's amazing. You know, what strikes me about your particular uh, list is, um, and it's quite different from other lists, uh, it feels almost like stepping stones. It's a curriculum in expanding consciousness. One could go through your entire list, starting yeah. here, ending up there, and be changed at the end of it. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> you know, uh, stepping stones, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it feels like rather than, you know, I found stumbled across this book and then stumbled across. It feels like that was a well laid out path. Okay. You know, in some ways I think it was, I didn't plan it that way. You know, I didn't have a plan. I was just going to grow up, get married and live happily ever after. Um, but, and I'm not even sure the get married part was in there. I was going to grow up and be a doctor. <laughs> that's what I wanted. <laughs> and that just didn't work out. Um, so you, you do what you can and you make things work the best you can with what's happening. Um, Kundalini was certainly, what do you, you English have a way of saying it was something like a wrench in the, a spanner in the something. Spanner in the works. The spanner in the works. That's yeah. right. Um, yeah. Someone's tossed a spanner in the works. <laughs> yeah. We say a fly in the soup. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. Um, it's really, that was what Kundalini was. I didn't really have a plan other than to make money, big money. And I was off and running with engineering, which was totally not what I really came here to do. Uh, and I, at the time I kept saying, I want to build a city. I want to, I want to design a city later, like 40 years later, and this is just within the last few months, I'm looking at that original idea of I want to build a city and thinking, well, you know, I'm really building a community of consciousness and I have that on my website. And it's like, oh, okay, so it's kind of the same thing. So, um, you know, I, I hope that we as a group can make the, take the steps that will lead us into a world that works better because it's there's been a lot of corruption and people are knowing that at an unconscious level and it leads to an inner unexpressed anger that's dangerous and right now we're running into that anger everywhere we need to do something different in terms of um, the whole, the whole system, the whole civilization. It needs an upgrade. It needs a new consciousness. It needs a, um, it needs, it needs us. Is what it needs. It does indeed, Penny. That is a fabulous list. It really is, and I've really enjoyed hearing the stories behind it. Um, it's been very rich, uh, and I'm sure everybody agrees with me. What we're going to do now is we're going to open it up for questions. If anybody has a question. Yeah, don't hesitate to ask questions if you have questions. But I find um, often that people um, hear what I have to say and then they're like, I need a week to think about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, there is um, one note from Francis Mary to everyone. 
And she says, thank you for this extremely important interview with extremely powerful information, especially about awakening Kundalini experiences. I truly appreciate all you went through, Penny, that you're sharing it with those of us who are experiencing different aspects of it and not always sure what is going on. Also, your other information, we school, etc., is in alignment with my beliefs, which is affirming, as it's not what most believe. I'm incredibly grateful for this real down-to-earth and focused interview. Um, and much love to all. Um, and Jane is saying that she's just downloaded the Kundalini book. Um, and she also wants to know, is it still active in your life now? Yes, it is. It is. Once Kundalini starts, I mean, it's best if it starts a little at a time. But once it starts, it reactivates on its own over the entire course of your life. And it sometimes it will be <clears throat> a little activation and sometimes it'll be a lot, um, but it's still active. And, and it's, I, I feel sometimes like, okay, where are we going? <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, and, and so I continue to watch, to experiment, to research, to explore, to take notes and to write just so that I can maybe help anybody else who's going through it or some aspect of it because it, it comes up in different ways. If you're, like I said, more visual, then you may suddenly begin having visions. If you're more kinesthetic, all of a sudden you're aware of the feelings of the entire world, of the emotions, and it's, uh, it's overwhelming. If you're auditory, you begin hearing voices. Kids 13, 14, 15, that's the turning point when the the experiences of clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience are supposed to begin because they're maturing. It's a stage of maturing. And um, it's a lot of kids end up with their parents putting them on drugs or in a hospital because they're hearing voices. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh. Um, and so I've been instrumental in helping several people get out of an institution and function in a normal way. And several people who are somewhat multidimensional, which we classify as psychotic, um, to be able to recognize which dimension they're operating in and how to do that very successfully without scaring the daylights out of anybody else. So there, and then there's the normal people saying, well, how did you know that? <laughs> that kind of thing. And you don't have an explanation. No. Well, what I'm going to do is, um, as you said, I'm sure there's been so much in this particular um, event tonight for people to take in that I think people will go away and then come back with questions later. So if anybody wants to write to you, what's the best way to connect with you? Oh, probably the best way is um, to send an email. Um, my email is info at pennykelly.com. And you can also go to my website, which is consciousnessonfire.com. And you can send an, an email to, I think it's info at, it's like info at, I, <laughs> it's info at Kelly Networks is the other one. Consciousness on Fire is part of that. Yeah, we just rearranged everything. But the easiest one is, um, I, I'm going to say it's Penny at PennyKelly.com because it's just okay. my name. 
and it's easy to remember. Any of those will get to me, but penny at pennykelly.com is the easiest to remember. So consciousnessonfire.com, is this a brand new website and does it replace pennykelly.com or is it in addition to? No, it's, it replaces um, pennykelly.com will take you to consciousnessonfire.com. And that's where my books are and my classes and, you know, a little bit of blog. And um, since I started my Patreon site, I've woefully let my blog slide. <laughs> so there's not much recent on the blog. But um, I've been very busy on YouTube uh, and BitChute and Patreon. So. And I have to share with everybody that, you know, you and I, we've done three or four interviews over the years, yeah. um, radio interviews, and um, you're the only person, the only person in all the years that I've been doing interviews that I, you know, I mean, many people I find I want to talk and continue a conversation with them, but you're the only one that we've actually said, okay, we really do have to continue this conversation and record it and just, leave it out there for anybody to access because we didn't even begin to get to the heart of some of the things we wanted to talk about. Um, and, and that's the danger of interviewing you, Penny. Because <laughs> oh, we know there's never enough, never enough time. Oh, okay. Well, I, you know, just give me a call. I've been really busy this last year and a half. Oh my, I have so enjoyed. Um, and this, I have to just say, the robes were right. They said, it'll all happen very naturally. Just don't get excited. <laughs> and so I've been like, oh, okay, it seems to be happening. I'll just make myself available. Um, and the, what I see is this slow building wave of awareness and the language of consciousness, the language of energy is beginning to be understood. It's like, okay, we'll just keep going. I, we'll get there. We'll make it. We'll make it. So... Okay. Well, I do not see any other questions. I do see um, Laura's left a message saying such an illuminating conversation. Thanks for having this powerful talk. Fascinating topics from reading material. Thank you so much, Penny. Um, what I'm going to ask you a question of mine, and that is um, that, um, you know, I always ask people to come up with their uh, keywords um, because I like to know how people would describe themselves. And I like to kind of slip in through, you know, the official biographical details to learn a little bit more about them. And you, your keywords are spirit walker, explorer of worlds, teacher, coach, connoisseur of consciousness, bread baker, and pie maker. So let's tackle the con connoisseur of consciousness. That implies that... You, you almost go around measuring and savoring consciousness. Is that true? In that is absolutely that true. I tell people, watch out. <laughs> you know, if you come into contact with me, there's this immediate, it's, it's like a nurse who's been involved in nursing for 40 years or 50 years. She's immediately assessing an individual's condition. I am immediately assessing what stage of development somebody is at, what do they need to hear, what's, you know, I'm listening to their language, um, and I am really finely tuned into what makes people tick. 
and how how can I get them to tick with either more fun or more gracefulness or um, people's consciousness, whether it's mean or crabby or silly or immature, um, doesn't bother me at all. People often say to me, how come that didn't upset you? And I'm like, why should I get upset? That's his consciousness or that's her consciousness. That's her telling me how she is. It's got nothing to do with me. And so those kinds of approaches um, have really brought me to this place of, of um, when I'm interacting with somebody, I'm not just passing time. I'm really interacting in such a way that I'm creating the world of people that I want to live in, which is I know what people are capable of. They're capable of love. They're capable of laughter. They're capable of insight. They're capable of being kind. Um, they're capable of being who they really are. And that's what I want. So that's the kind of story. <laughs> and I love the fact that you, um, you balance all of this multidimensionality with baking bread and making pies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I grow my own food. Um, that's really a critical piece. The energies that are in that food are phenomenal. Um, the plants are intelligent. When you wander among those plants, your energy is washing over them. And those plants are assessing what's, what does that system need? What is missing or wrong or needs correcting in that energy system? And then they alter themselves, assuming that they're going to um, feed you because you're the one doing the growing and the tending and the watering and the weeding and the talking and the you know, trimming and all of that stuff. And so they alter their chemistry to fit you perfectly. And you don't age as fast and you don't go down. Um, you know, you don't, you don't get old, you, you get older, but you don't get old um, in the way that a lot of people do. Um, and people give up after a while and they don't need to. Um, so Bread baking, yeah, uh, pie making, I like to make, I like to cook, number one, um, and I like to make my own stuff and my, my own herbs. I have a greenhouse, a huge greenhouse, um, and I have a huge garden, and I have chickens, I don't, my cow, I had my last cow, um, we had to put her down last October, so I don't have any more cows, but... Um, well, I tell you, come the Armageddon, you know, or the whatever, the, we're all going to be coming to you. <laughs> you've got the food, you've got the plants, you know how to, you know, the sustainability, you know how to survive. Yeah. We do have um, a question that I missed, and it's from Frances okay. Mary. And she says, does everybody go through the exact same Kundalini experiences, but perhaps spread out over time? to resonate with each person's own ability to deal with it? Absolutely, absolutely. Kundalini literally is consciousness. Consciousness is energy. So when you have a Kundalini awakening, which is the old ancient Eastern term, you have an influx of energy and that's what causes the heat. And that energy is used to reorganize your system, your electro and ele electrical and electromagnetic system. And that is the system that is changing. 
And the more energy you can have as a throughput, the more consciousness you have and the more stuff you can be aware of, the more, the more, the bigger the range of frequencies you can access. Um, so that whole thing is really, um, it, it should happen a little bit at a time. It, it, I mean, I've heard all kinds of stories now. People have shared what they were doing at the moment of Kundalini. And it's typically it's going to be a moment when you just kind of relax and let your guard down and all of your rules and all of your boundaries and all of your do's and don'ts are just set aside for a moment. And when that happens, then your system is, you're going to take in more energy and it, you're going to use that energy to reorganize your chakra system, your energy system. So yeah, it's and you want it to be over time, nice and slow, but steady so that you get more and more powerful, more and more wise, more and more awake as you grow older. So thank yes. you. Thank you, Penny. Um, one last question, and that is, if you had to give just one of these books to somebody that was starting out on their journey, which one would you choose? Oh, wow. Starting out on their journey. It would probably be, well, it'd probably be either book one, if they've had some hints of Kundalini, or book two, um, because one of the things that occurs as you start to awaken is the development of intuition. It just comes naturally. And, you know, it might not be the best one, but um, I would say probably that one would say, oh, look at all the people who are studying this. This is normal. And what you need at, at the beginning of the journey is to know that you're still normal. There's other, maybe some other books I might even you know say well maybe you should get my first consciousness and energy book which is um or my evolving human which talks about my own individual journey of awakening and what's involved in that a lot of people have written and said i could i i didn't realize i had had that experience and, and then they share the whole story it's like yep you did <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, um, there's maybe one or two others that I would say um, might be good. Certainly not the one on death. Certainly, um, you know, the, if you're interested in nature um, and that connection, then I would say the secret life of plants. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it would be, have to be pretty much an individual sort of of uh, like, um, tell me about what's going on with you. And then yeah. I would recommend a yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Gosh. Penny, it, it has been fascinating to speak with you. You know, I love that not only do we get these incredible, uh, you know, lists of books, but we also get all of these little personal stories and insights behind them, which just, you know, now it becomes a whole other thing that we're receiving here. Um, so much more than just a list of books. Um, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. I know how busy you are. Um, I'm sure that we're going to get a number of questions afterwards and maybe we'll have you back sometime as well. But okay. um, yeah, I really appreciate the time you've given to us today. Okay, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you to all of you guys for listening. I appreciate it.
Okay, so consciousnessonfire.com. If your consciousness is on fire right now, you know where to go. Thank you for joining us. I mean, we couldn't do this without you as well. So thank you. Much appreciated. And I'll see you again next week at the same time. Till then. <laughs>